Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, where we are here every time to warn the nation from a biblical perspective and to help you respond in faith. And we have an election coming up on November 8th, and we are going to talk about several things, why it's important to Christians, what are on my heart, my guest's heart, as well as some things we've often overlooked, even things on the ballot, which are super important every election, and all the more so, I believe, on this upcoming midterm election. So what's at stake for us as Christians? What's at stake for the nation? That will be throughout, I'm sure. And I want to welcome my guest for today, Joan Steer. Welcome to Insights. Thank you. Can you, Joan, just tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump in? Yes. I am a mother of five, and I've taught in the public school and in private school, and I homeschooled my children. I also worked for a ministry called the Navigator Ministry, whose goal was to make to know God and to make Him known. And uh, I met forerunners and ag- agree and believe in the mission that the mm-hmm. forerunners have. So, yeah, well, it's been great to have you a part of, of forerunners, helping in so many ways. And your background, by the way, it's going to be really helpful in light of the, what we're talking about today in terms of the upcoming elections and things that are related to the schools. But let's put a quick pause on that. And I want to start by asking this question, because I don't think it's honestly analyzed enough in the body of Christ. And that is, why should Christians care about elections in general? But in spe- specifically, too, why should Christians care about the upcoming election? Our nation has moved further and further away from God and has become very much anti-God. And our government is, of course, a big factor in that. God makes us responsible to put people in office in our country by voting people into office, righteous people. And this coming up election is very clearly a fight for the government, the high positions of the leadership in our country. This is a fight for it. We really are in a battle for our country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. And one thing that's always caught my attention is how God calls his prophets, his people to be a witness to the government. And specifically when God called Jeremiah into his prophetic ministry, he said, I want you to address the king and the officials. That's your government. Uh, And God was calling his leaders to do that. Um, Of course, the people should also be aware of what's going on to pray and so forth, uh, according to uh, 1 Timothy 2. But yeah, then of course, God also called Jeremiah into two other huge spheres, which would be the people in general and also the church specifically. Um, So we see that God really has called us to engage the battle in these these various battlefronts. And that one that we're talking about today here is government. And we in this country, we've even been given the opportunity to vote to influence the government, which was not true, whether we look at the Old or New Testament, back when the scriptures were being written, there wasn't that opportunity. So here we even have another opportunity to be of greater influence. And if Christians bypass this, if we just don't get aware of the innate, the uh, the issues, uh, I think we're negligent. And yeah. by the way, um, it's not so much, in my opinion, as we look at this election, uh, it's not so much that Christians are wandering into the sphere of government and trying to impose themselves. More and more, what we're seeing in our country is the government is wandering into the sphere of the church and Christians and moral issues and anything that's a moral issue, of course, is a God issue, meaning he has an opinion about it. And they're they're biblical issues. And so suddenly, the, to me, 
every election that goes by, whether it's the four-year cycle with the presidential election or where we're at now with midterm elections, the election cycle is becoming more and more important, I believe, for Christians Mm-hmm. because these are moral biblical issues that candidates will land on either the side and I don't mean to I don't mean to exaggerate here Joan but they're either going to land on the side of righteousness and helping move our country more towards God's ways or we're going to see elect people that are more in line with with a wicked mindset and I again I don't think that's an exaggeration I really believe our officials whether they know Christ or not will move us more toward uh, God's ways and just in some ways what I just call common sense versus what's happened over the last few years, which I believe is just craziness in leading us uh, ultimately, if we read the scriptures, leading us into wickedness. So these, this should matter to us. Okay. Um, and I just want to, I think, add one, one thing, and that would be uh, Proverbs 14, 34, where, where God speaks um, here, through Solomon writing these Proverbs saying that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin in a nation, it is a disgrace. And so if God is going to exalt a nation, and this of course can be any nation, but we're talking here today about America, but if God is going to exalt a nation, it's hard for me to picture that happening if righteousness is not going forth in every aspect of society. So of course in the church, of course in the church, we want to see uh, righteousness be going forth and taught and so forth and all these kinds of things. Um, But also as the church can influence these other spheres, it seems to me that it's so vital and we can do that November 8th through voting. Right. So yeah. um, Yeah, go ahead. That day is that it is really time for the church to shine bright and that will mean morals, moral Good morals are healthy for everybody, even people who don't know the Lord at all. A moral society is a healthy environment for them to come to know God. And instead of uh, the church too many times, as shown even with the COVID, seem to um, have a sense that we are in a holy huddle and we're safe in our holy huddle here in church that we can't tend to during the COVID thing. But I feel like we have a role to play. God has given us the commission. He commissioned us to be the light. And so voting is a major part of that because voting who we have in positions of power affects the laws, affects the whole environment of our society. Right. And again, I just want to highlight again, we're not just talking about a little difference here on should we have higher taxes to fund more programs or less taxes, or should we have a little bit stronger uh, a defense system with our military or less? No, no, no. This stuff is moral. So that now I want to really transition into the the heart or substance of, I think, uh, of this podcast, our conversation here today. And that is, so if all of this is true, what we just briefly went over, but if that's true, then, then what are the issues that we see as moral that God's speaking about that we should be engaging in related to the upcoming election? Well, one of the major ones, I live in the state of Michigan, and Michigan wants to come up with the most liberal abortion uh, amendment to our constitution. Yes, Roe versus Wade happened, but it really is just the issue of abortion is just kicked back to the states to decide. And the laws that Michigan wants to have on their proposal are appalling in every way. Can you explain a little, a couple specifics on why it's so egregious? Well, it would repeal the current laws, which are, I would say, still liberal. But one of the things it does is gives 
uh, takes away the parental consent needed for abortion. So mm. they're rewriting the law to say every individual has the freedom of life. In other words, to choose abortion. Um, so children would be allowed to effectuate decisions relating to pregnancy concerning, for instance, that would include contraception, sterilization, abortion, and fertility, even things having to do with transgender. Transgender. It, it has mm. so far reaching without any parent consent at all. So, so I just got to interject quick here, and I want you to keep going. But okay, so uh, what we saw as the scriptures would teach that God creates life from the womb and we want to protect life, the sanctity of life, all of these things that I, I think we're up to speed here as believers. Um, what we're seeing here, it, we thought we had, had this great victory at the end of June when the Supreme Court uh, overruled Roe v. Wade and, and now it's pushed back to the states. But how many Christians, even in, in your state, Joan, in Michigan, how many Christians are aware that this is going to be on the ballot this fall, what you just described? Yeah. And how many Christians are even aware that the battle wasn't done at the end of June when the Supreme Court did that? In fact, in many ways, for many states, it's just begun. And what you just highlighted, it's not that Michigan under you know, this ruling of the Supreme Court in June, it's not that Michigan is moving more pro-life. It's actually introducing death legislation to bring us into more wickedness. And so yes. how, I mean, how can we go through this fall as, as believers, as churches, as not being aware of this? Exactly. And the law that they want to, the proposal also includes that a baby can be aborted up to the point of birth. And if an abortion isn't successful, the baby can still be killed after birth. So wildly more pro-death. Yes, absolutely. And it includes more people. And it doesn't even have to be a doctor that does this. They, they just have changed the term. It can be a healthcare provider. So a podiatrist, a dentist, a veterinarian, any of them could do this abortion? Yes. And it protects them that if there is anything they are charged with any particular case that didn't work well or anything against the healthcare professional, they are protected by the law. There is nothing you can do about it. Wow. Well, okay, so that's what's going on in the state of Michigan. I think everybody yes. listening to this, whatever state you're in, you've got to find out what is on the ballot this fall, whether it's, it's proposals, propositions, or referendums, in addition to candidates and so forth. Joan, that's huge. Anything anything else when you think about the these moral issues that we could actually help influence the country for good? Yes, one of the things I think we need to do, those of us who are aware of how, how extensive these proposals are, make everyone else aware. I have contacted many people about this, sent them information on it, a site that they can go to that spells out exactly what the implications of the proposals are. And we need to make it known. We believers need to stand up firmly, as I am hoping that we'll vote for people who will stand firmly and not be wishy-washy about this. So um, just, I guess, being very practical here and putting boots to the ground, responding in faith, if, if I remember right, Joan, like you have a friend, um, uh, I believe her first name is Holly, but you have a friend that you two have kind of uh, mm -hmm. encouraged each other and even taken some steps locally. Can you describe a little bit of that? Yes. Um, she and I have made each other aware, given each other sites that will explain information about these proposals and other issues coming that are on the doorstep of our society. 
And we've gone to churches, contacted friends at churches and asked them to make it known to their pastors, put it in their bulletins, announce it. And there are many churches that are doing that. For one of the first times I can ever recall, the pastors are standing up and saying, this is a bad proposal. We need to vote no. And this is why. That they would even just give three minutes to notifying the people in their congregations who we are hoping will also then notify their uh, contacts. It needs to be made known. Right. And it's first encouraging that you are getting that response. Um, I just got to back up just a little bit and just say to any pastors, Christian leaders uh, that are listening to this, we have to speak up. This is not a left versus right issue. This is God's perspective and what he wants for our nation versus those that would essentially do things that would provoke God's judgment rather than his blessing, his mercy upon our whole nation. And again, I, I know you just m- briefly mentioned this a few minutes ago, but but these things do help people come to faith. We're told to pray in this direction in 1 Timothy uh, chapter two verses one through five, like this stuff is essential in being salt and light. That's a whole nother angle on this, that this is another way that Christians can be um, salt and light. But again, I'm very concerned that most people aren't aware of what's on the ballot, who's on the ballot, and are they really even helping? But let's just turn the corner here a little bit. Um, I mean, just to say the obvious, uh, we have never seen LGBTQ issues pushed um, so strongly uh, in, in all aspects of society, but also in our public schools. And we know that's going on. And, and Joan, can you just share a little bit about how you've seen this in small town America, how you've seen this infiltrating? By the way, um, what we've talked about, what I think you're about to describe, we've seen the exact same talking points in the big cities, and yet it's gotten to small town America in a big way. And so Anyway, any thoughts about uh, this election and LGBTQ? Yes, um, I substitute teach at a local high school and um, so have firsthand seen some of these materials and things that are being taught to the kids, what's being promoted. And it was very disturbing to me, very, very disturbing to me. Um, I also looked into some of the books that they are given in the libraries and even some of the the information that they have to, in order to get a good grade, have to read. And uh, it's been very alarming, so alarming. I've gone to the school board and told them, this is what's going on there. This is not healthy for children. And I pointed out to them that the children's brains, the frontal lobes of a child's brain, where there's decision-making happening, happening, logical, rational, reasoning happening. Those aren't developed. Yes, those are not developed until they're 25. But rather, children process information through their amygdala part of their brain, which is the emotional region. So the information that you or I as an adult are reading or receiving, we process it discerningly, make good decisions about it. Kids aren't that way. They respond emotionally to it. So they are taking all this information in with their emotions. And I was telling the board, this is not fair to expect them to make good decisions about information that they are not equipped yet to make, but yet it's what you're pushing on them, what the school is pushing on them. So I, I've heard the term grooming, like the word, mm-hmm. our kids now today are actually being groomed for yeah. transgenderism, for lesbianism, for 
homosexuality, bisexuality, et cetera. Because they, they, they say this, I've seen the documents like you, Joan, and they literally say, so whatever you feel in the moment is who you are. It's the good and right thing. And no, it's not. And it's just really, again, going to uh, minimize our, our sinful nature and people even seeing a need to come to Christ. But that's kind of, we need that. That's super important, but we can't focus on that right now. But like when you're looking at this with um, this term grooming, Joan, do you believe that's an exaggeration to call it that? No, I don't. No, I don't. We've even looked at what the teachers are taught during the in-service days, what they're going to communicate in the CRT and the LGBTQ. Their concept is that this is all inclusive. And so we need to have our kids prepared because the world they're stepping into is, has such a wide range, such a diversity of sexuality, of racism, all of those things. But yet they're giving them no moral compass. So kids are already confused about their identity. Um, I shouldn't say they're already confused. Children are in the process of recognizing who they are as an individual. This just adds to the confusion. And I think that it's easy for the kids to think, well, maybe if I'm not comfortable with who I think I am, if I try being a different sex, then I'll be comfortable. They're looking for answers. And what they're being taught is that the answers are as wide as you want to imagine it. You can be anything you want to be sexually and racially the thought is so planted in there that you are a racist whether you realize it or not whether you've ever acted on it you are a racist um all of these right. social agendas are being so um yes they're being promoted and they're being accepted as quote unquote correct yeah now on that last one with racism i, I just want to broaden it a bit out of the public schools this is going on everywhere and i think we don't realize this i have a good friend of mine He's the uh, leader of a large uh, store in his area, a national chain, but a he's the, the director of the entire store. And he explained how they had to have this training as employees. And after the second day, they asked any questions and he said, yeah, as a, as a white person, all you've told me here for two days is that I'm an evil person because of my skin color. I mean, talk about racism, right? Yeah. Well, anyway... He says this comment. He says, so what am I supposed to do? Like, I am white. I can't change my skin color. And all you've told me here is that I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. And he said, immediately, those giving the training, they backed off and backpedaled and, oh, no, 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 all this kind of stuff. But then he said it was interesting. They still had two more days of training. Everything changed the tone and everything they said. And so there are um, things being pushed that we need to... Uh, uh, People that understand this, that are on the ballot, candidates, we need to know what they believe on these issues as well. And because all this is going to do, if you follow the critical race theory argument, all this does is create more division uh, between the races. It does not help our nation. And so we got to turn the corner because we don't have a ton of time uh, here, Joan. But uh, mm -hmm. let's discuss a little bit specific, specifically about school board members. And this is on the ballot. And this could be one of the most important things often overlooked. I, I raise my hand. I'm guilty. I often overlooked this. I didn't know who they were. And they're not listed as Republicans or Democrats. So you can't just vote straight party ticket. You have to actually know the person and their issues. And a lot of the grooming that we're talking about, it's because the school boards are also moving in this, uh, this other direction away from God's principles. And so we need godly people. These people, I would again say, as I said earlier, with common sense to get on our school boards. So, um, so Joan, just talk a little bit, because I know you've been 
very connected on this issue, but just uh, about school boards, their power, what's at stake, these kinds of things. Yeah. The school boards, many times, at least our school board that I've observed, seem to feel that they have to give in to the social engineering momentum that is coming way across all of our whole nation and all these different issues. Kind of like a laissez-faire, like, well, what will be will be, so it's just going to happen. So you don't want school board members who have that mindset. You want school board members who really are going to stand firm on righteousness and expect can I, can that. I just, can I just interject? So I was talking with a school board member from a particular small town, um, and it was just kind of like, I can't believe all this is going on in his small town, but it is, like we've already said. But anyway, I said, aren't there like a lot of people that would have just more traditional values or if they're Christians that would have more um, godly type perspective that would be speaking into this. And this is what he said. It's exactly what you just said, Joan. He said, no, he said, they just keep their mouth shut. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't know what they're there for their position. Cause they can announce that they're school board members and they're important or something. Or, I mean, these are people that you would think that we would vote for typically. And then case closed, we've, we've made progress. Mm -hmm. Basically some of these people, zero progress. Yes. That's exactly right. And that's why you want to find out about the school board members. And I'm suggesting how you find out is one way I've looked at is on the signs. The ones who I would promote also have not just their name on there, but they have underneath faith, family, freedom. Or sometimes they have a star on there, which give me, gives me the impression that they are probably conservative. They respect our flag, appreciate it. Another thing you can do is go to a couple websites. One is We the Parents. And they will have listed who they endorse. Different now, candidates. Is, is, is we the parents? Is that a national group, or is that what? What is that like? Can any of us go there and be helped from that website? I I am not positive if it's if it's national or not. There's two groups: we the parents and Moms for Liberty. Both of those are um, reputable believers, and so I know that it's in my state, and it operates in several counties in my state. So I'm really not sure. I'm sorry, I should have checked that out. But another one you can do is go to Facebook. If you know the name of someone running for your board, put their name in, in Facebook and see if you they probably would have something on their site about themselves and their views. You know, I, one of the things that, um, again, I just was unaware, yep, uh, <laughs> the director of Foreigners of America was clueless. Here's the deal. I didn't realize that the school board had the power to fire superintendents and, okay. and superintendents, as I've talked to different people in the school system, I mean, obviously they're, they, they have power influence of a huge degree, but they also often have these degrees, et cetera, et cetera, but they actually have to answer to the school board. And so yeah. talk about change and, and because sometimes these school boards have just been radicalized, meaning promoting LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera. Even good superintendents often feel silenced because if they don't go along with the school board and now what some of these vocal teachers are saying, then they can get fired. That's why this is so crucial here November 8th that we see people with godly values, or again, even if they're not Christians, they might have traditional values. We need to see those people voted on to our school boards. The amount of power they have is actually quite, uh, quite significant. Right. And it's interesting to note, too, their qualifications to be a school board member. You don't have to have an education background at all. None at all. There's no qualifications, just that you want to be on the school board. So uh, that's significant. I think I was surprised when I learned that they didn't have to have any 
background and education at all. The school board is above the superintendent in making decisions. And I'd point out too, under the superintendent is someone called a curriculum director. And that's where I've had contact with because I'm concerned about what's in the curriculum. So <clears throat> I'm just making you aware of kind of the sequence of the hierarchy. Under the mm -hmm. curriculum director would be the principals um, of the different so, schools. So the curriculum director actually has authority over the principals? Yes. Well, in terms of deciding what's on the curriculum, yes. Interesting. And even what's in the library, what books are in the school library and in the classroom libraries is the curriculum director. Yes. Okay. So when we talk about replacing school board members, we're talking about people that influence superintendents. Therefore, the curriculum director is going to be influenced. And I'm not sure of exactly the interplay between a school board member and picking the curriculum director. Do you know that? I don't know how they choose, but I know that it's ultimately up to the superintendent to decide who the curriculum director is. Okay, so all three of these areas overlap, and then the principals are going to find themselves in a in a situation where they kind of kind of have to go along to get along with that hierarchy and what they're yeah. being told. Yes. And this gets so basically, I know this is shocking uh, for some people listening, but basically, some of the most important people on the ballot that you will be voting for November 8th are actually these school board members. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Now, anything in that realm, Joan, I know you've done a lot and you've seen it firsthand. Uh, you've talked to a lot of people. Anything else in that realm of school boards, influence, etc.? Well, I would just suggest to the any parent at all or any community member, you don't have to be a parent in the school, a grandparent, a neighbor, anyone who has concerns about the schools and what's happening you can go to those school board members, go to the school board meetings and speak and tell them about your concerns. You can also make appointments with the curriculum director, with the principal, speak up. I've heard of a friend of mine whose son was, she was upset about what was going on in his classroom. And she said, she talked to the secretary at the school. I'm like, no, don't talk to the secretary. She has no power. Talk to the principal, talk to the teacher, go to the administration who can really do something about it and address the concerns. Right. Well, unless you have something else, we're going to conclude for today, Joan. Um, I'm glad that you're in what I believe for America, this is the battle of the ages. And I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're speaking out what you're speaking out and many others like you, by the way. Um, but any closing thought? No, just what I said is speak up. We do have a voice and we just need to really use it use it strategically and how you vote and who you talk to in the schools or in the community. That's it. Just use our voice. Great word. Thank you. And I just want to say that it was President Lincoln that coined the phrase that it is government of the people, by the people, for the people. And that's what a representative government is, where we actually go and vote. We have a voice in this. We can help steer our, our nation, even our local schools. We can help steer them more towards things that are pleasing to God, bring life, even bringing more people salvation. We can either help steer things in that direction, or we can see things steered in another direction direction. There's so much at stake in this election and like every election, but as we see momentum going more and more into moral issues and things that the church is about and what Christians are supposed to be about, we all the more, this is this is important for us um, in our, our own walks, our own families, our own 
uh, communities, as well as ultimately the entire nation. It's these very issues that whether we go in one direction, God will bless us according to Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10, or he will not bless a nation. Remember that righteousness exalts a nation, Proverbs 14, 34. Nations are very much on God's heart. He, he weighs them in his balance. Thank you for joining insights today. And I look forward to being with you next time.